Let us pray as we stand and sit. Heavenly Father, here we are. We have just sung a truth, a truth of reality. The way to drive true doctrine into the heart of a human is to sing it. And what we just sang is that you are life. There is no life outside of you. And we have been set free, not because of a country and a document, but because Jesus Christ died on the cross, arose again from the dead, freeing all those who believe. Father, I, pr I pray in the name of Jesus that someone in this room will get that today. In the name of your son, we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Amen, amen. Wow. I said to Sue um, Friday night after our uh, Good Friday service, I said, I think that I was just a part of probably one of the greatest Good Friday services I've ever been about, a part. It was just, just the Spirit of God was there. It was, um, I, I just... I, I can't even describe it to you. Uh, it has nothing to do with my involvement in it. It has everything to do with Jesus' involvement in it. And it just really sensed his spirit among us. And I do this morning also. And so I just pray, if you're a visitor, I pray that you also are experiencing that uh, today. Turn with me to the uh, book of Matthew, the 28th chapter. We're going to be looking at the resurrection today. Matthew 28, we're going to be looking at all 20 verses of Matthew 28, and so put, open up your Bible uh, and look at the words myself, be good Bereans, make sure that the word of God is being spoken and being brought forward, that is so important. The resurrection is the single most impactful event in all of humanity Nothing compares to it except the creation itself and the birth of Jesus. Jesus himself spoke of it in his own life when he said in John 10, 17 through 18, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. And then in the light of death, in the light of the death of a good friend by the name of Lazarus, Jesus said to his sister, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. Jesus was pointing to this powerful moment. He had said several times that not only uh, would he be beaten, mocked, and hung and killed on a cross, but on the third day, Jesus was, would arise from the dead. The simple question that I think we need to enter this passage with today is this. What impact does the resurrection have on you? Right now, today, at this moment, even though over 2,000 years ago, it is more important today than it ever has been. How has it impacted you because the resurrection of the dead should impact you in the light of death. And I know some of you are looking death in the face. Either a death of a loved one 
or some of you have had diagnosis in among us here that your life may not go on that long. What impact does the resurrection have on you at this point? What impact does the resurrection have on you when it seems like we live in a world that is lying more and more to us, that deception seems to be raising up in among us? What impact does the resurrection have on you? And what impact does the resurrection have when it seems like the purpose of life is meaningless? I don't know where I'm going. I don't know who I am. What does the resurrection have as an impact on you? It impacted ancient people. There's so much in the Old Testament about the resurrection. The psalmist says this in the 49th chapter, the 15th verse, but God will redeem me from the realm of the dead. He will surely, surely take me to himself. Whoa, they didn't even see the cross except from a distance, and yet they believed. Isaiah was impacted by the resurrection, the 29th chapter, the 19th verse, but your dead will live, Lord. Their bodies will rise. Let those who dwell in dust wake up and shout for joy. Your dew is like the dew of the morning. The earth will give birth to her dead. Yes, yes. Job was impacted, losing everything, family and all that he owned. In the 19th chapter, the 25th verse through the 27th says, I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand on the earth. After my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes. I and not another. Wow. It's going to be your personality. I don't know what you're going to be looking through, but you're going to be looking at him. Every single one of us. And then it became the resurrection, became the foundation of the founding church. In Acts 2, it was one of the first uh, sermons that was preached. Thank God for sermons. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to a cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep a hold on him. Wow. Yes. But you know what? The resurrection has impacted our world. Yes, it has. It was in 1637 when Japan government owned the Rescue Islands. A Protestant missionary had traveled to the islands and discovered a strange thing. A grave marker stating that more than 11,000 heads were buried there from Christians who had been executed in the mainland Japan. They were buried separate from their bodies. Why? As he investigated, he came to realize that the Japanese government decided to separate the heads from the body because they wanted to not have the resurrection. And they figured by having the two separated, they would, the resurrection wouldn't happen. An unbelieving government <laughs> believed in the resurrection. So as we approach Matthew 10 or 28, 
Um, we look at three scenes I think are very important. The scene of death giving way to life. The scene of deception giving way to truth. And the per- scene of purposelessness giving way to destiny. And so let's begin reading together, shall we? As we look at our scripture, the first ten verses says this. After the Sabbath, at the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone, and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were as white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the woman hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Oh, amen, amen. Jesus had now been in the, in the grave for the third day. His followers, the disciples, were huddled together in fear and confused because they had forgotten the words that Jesus had said earlier, in three days I will rise and I will go and meet you in Galilee. Mary Magdalene, the woman who Jesus had cast seven demons out of, and the mother uh, Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, the wife of Cleophas, were going to the tomb to put more burial spices on the body. On the way, there was a violent earthquake. And through the Holy Spirit, we realized that, it, that a, power of the, a, a powerful angel came, rolled the stone away, sat on it, and the soldiers guarding the tomb were knocked down as dead men. But what the passage reveals to us is something that I think is so important. Mary, even though the open grave is before her, even though the angel is sitting on the stone, does not get it. Does not get it. And in the book of John, it says this, the 20th chapter. She didn't, she didn't look any further. She just turned around and ran. She ran to the disciples and said, listen to what she said. She said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. Yeah, Amazing. Trauma is defined as emotional experience or shock, often producing a lasting psychic effect and sometimes neurosis. Neurosis is a mental disorder characterized by anxiety, compulsions or addictions, phobias, and depression. Mary was so traumatized by the death of her Messiah, she could not see what was in front of her eyes. In fact, John goes on to describe Mary's reaction. In the, in the 20th chapter, 11 through 12, it says, Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw the two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. What we know now, what she did not get, 
was the fact that that was a picture, a picture of the Ark of the Covenant that was surrounded by the angels. And now we come to realize that Jesus Christ, through his resurrection, now is the true mercy seat of God. And that all can come to him and all can be drawn to God through his mercy. It said, the Bible says that it's the kindness of God that draws us to repentance. Amen? That's what draws us. And so she didn't see that. And so the angel asked Mary, why are you crying? She repeated, they have taken my Lord away and I don't know where they have put him. You see, the trauma of death had so overcome Mary that she couldn't see it. As we say it here, she couldn't even see the nose on the front of her face. Traumatic, traumatic events, as in death, communicates to the heart that it's all over. Every single one of us have gone through trauma. We live in a world of trauma. When, when Adam and Eve sinned against God... They not only brought sin into the world, but they brought trauma into the world. A trauma that says and speaks to your heart that because this event has happened, it's all over with. I might as well give up. That's what Mary was feeling. It's all over with. My Messiah is dead. We thought, as the two disciples said on the, on the, on the road to Emmaus, we thought that he was going to set Jerusalem free. Trauma and the trauma of death comes in many forms. Death of reputation, death of relationship, death of, of disease, death of you put you fill it in. When you've gone through something that absolutely seems like it has just brought an end to my life, you're experiencing the trauma of death. A band by the name of uh, For King and Country sang a song called It's Not Over Yet. These are the words. And they are inside your head. You got a voice that says, you won't get past this one. You won't win your freedom. It's like a constant war, and you want to settle that score. But you're bruised and beaten, and you feel defeated. This goes out to the heaviest heart. Oh, to everyone who's hit their limit, it's not over yet. It's not over yet. And even when you think you're finished, it's not over yet. It's not over yet. The change for Mary, was found in the 14th through the 16th verse of that chapter. If you'd like to go with me to John 20. Starting with the 15th verse. John 20, starting with the 15th verse. Listen to these words. I'm going to start the 14th verse, sorry. At this, so she talked to the angels. She told them why. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not realize that it was Jesus. That's someone in this room today. Jesus is right here. 
No, no, no. He's right here. I don't think you're getting it. He's right here. He's right here. Do you recognize him? She didn't. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? That is a great question. You know that all of our lives are looking for something, right? That's why we go after things. Go after, because we're all looking for something. Yes, we are. Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener. She said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. 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 The men on the Emmaus Road walking, Jesus was walking next to them. They had a conversation. He proved from Scripture that the Messiah had to go through what he went through. And then as they were turning to go to the town, he was looking like he was going away. And they said, come with us, it's too late. He came in with them, and they supped together. And when he broke the bread and gave thanks, they recognized him, and he was gone. They came back and told the story. And as they were telling the story, Jesus appeared among them. And he said, peace be with you. And then something interesting happens. Jesus opens their hearts to the scripture. Have you heard your name from Jesus? Has he said your name to you? Because that's how he comes to us. So absolutely personal, so absolutely intimate that he comes into your very soul and says your name. And from that, he then opens your eyes and your heart to see him and to hear his word. The Apostle Paul so understood this that he says in Ephesians 1, 18, he says, I pray that your eyes will be enlightened to the call of the hope that you have in him. Or this way, that you may know the hope to which he has called you. There's only one way to get over the lie of death, and that is, and the trauma of death, is to hear your voice spoken by Jesus and to allow him to open your heart to him. There's no other way. He's speaking today. Do you remember he spoke and the world came into being? Yes, he did. And he's speaking today. He's speaking to you and he's speaking to me. Listen to me, I know that's because the Apostle Paul said in Romans that right now there may be even some among us that are suppressing that truth. 
You know the truth, but you're suppressing it. He's made himself plain to you. And you are without excuse. Death begs to be your God. God is saying, I'm your God, and I bring life out of death. Do you hear it? Do you hear it? Jesus is saying these words, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle in heart and humble and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know why Jesus' yoke is easy? Because he's on the other side. Everyone who's a believer is a double yoke. Jesus is pulling with you. He's guiding you and teaching you. The anxiety has raised up because people are trying to do it on their own. The trauma of depression is rising in our country because people are trying to do it on their own. They are not surrendering, submitting to Jesus Christ and letting the Savior of the world, the one who's risen from the dead, take the yoke with you and walk with you in partnership. Today, Today, if you are burdened, today is a great day to receive the one who has died and arisen for you to give life and life anew. Break free from the trauma. Break free from the depression, from the anxiety. Break free because he has overcome death. But it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop there. Let's go on. Verse 10. I'm going to go start with B. Verse 10B says this on through 15 of Matthew 28. Again, if you've back there, if you kept your finger in it, I hope you did. It says, do not be afraid. I love that. How many of you walked in with fear in this morning? How many of you walked in with your heart with fear? Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers, go to Galilee. There they will see me. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, yep, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money telling them, you are to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did what they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Now this is something that I believe Spirit told me as I was studying this. Deception. When you see the scene of deception unfolding, I want you to know that it's not because um, truth is ever rejected for the lack of understanding. Truth is is rejected for the implications that it brings into one's life. To deceive, you have to know the truth. So, if the resurrection is true, there's two realities they were trying to push down. First of all, that God's word is absolutely true. Absolutely true. You read it, you can believe it. It's absolutely true. If you're rejecting it, even now, you're rejecting the truth because you know it's true and you do not want the implication of what it's saying to be in your life. Okay, I get that. It's called rebellion. 
I get that. You want to stay there? It's not going to do well for you. It's not. It never did well for me. Oh, you either? Right? I just, that's crazy. I'm glad there's two people in the room it didn't do well for. Amen. Amen. Second is that Jesus is the Son of God and has the power over life and death. No, no. He is the Son of God and has the power over life and death. The resurrection proves that salvation is complete and that the cross has conquered sin. I know there's some of you that have been buried by sin for years and you think that's all there's going to be. Not according to the resurrection. Let's overcome it. Resurrection proves that the church has been established for all time and that no matter what COVID has done, to the church, it's going to stay. And nothing's going to move the true church of Jesus Christ. Nothing. Nothing. Resurrection proves that judgment is coming. And that's the main reason for rejection. That's why you're pushing back at me right now. Because you don't believe in judgment. You believe somehow you're a good enough person that if there is some kind of afterlife that you'll, you'll be okay. But never really be judged for your sin. It's a lie, but resurrection proves that it's true. Resurrection proves that heaven is being prepared for you and me. And this is in our home. Resurrection proves humans can live new and transformed lives on this earth. No longer being controlled by what has been in the past, but being controlled by Jesus Christ. Now, this is something that um, is called absolute truth. Do you know that 30% or more of people who go to church no longer believe in absolute truth? Absolute truth is the belief that morality does not come from the invention of man, but that there is a moral cause, capital C, and that outside of man and the universe, this cause has caused morality to unfold among human beings. And the truth is this, it doesn't, whether, no, it doesn't matter whether I know it or not, care about it or not, or believe in it or not. It's still true. It's still true. I think this is interesting, and I'm not sure if you've thought about it, but I, I did in my studies. I want you to notice that as the soldiers come to the chief priests, there's no refuting the evidence. There's no refuting the evidence. Now think about it. These people, these chief priests, had at their disposal not only their own soldiers, but also now the Roman soldiers are kind of indebted to them because they're going, I don't know what to do with this. There was an earthquake. The stone moved away. An angel came and sat on the stone, and I fell over like I was dead. I had no strength in myself. Man, I work out every morning at 4.30 in the morning. And I had no strength in my body. And the chief priest did not refute it. I think that's significant. Because true is true is true is true. And sometimes, the neat thing about studying God's word is that sometimes you learn more about him from those who didn't believe in him than those who did. 
And as you study scripture, listen to the voices of unbelievers too. It's amazing. I, sorry, I, Stephen, I took your place right there. I did some teaching. I, you know, dude, <laughs> we need you up here telling us that. But isn't that true, Stephen? Isn't that true? Yeah. And so they only came up with a threefold plan. Bribe the soldiers, give them a lie, and protect them from the governor. So you have to understand something. Even, even the deception becomes the proof of truth. For if Jesus was a fake, they would have been able to prove it. But never have they even in all of history. Their deception became a marker point to the truth. So it's estimated that Matthew was written in the, in the 63rd cent, uh, BC, uh, A.D. century, um, or A.D., 63 A.D., 30-plus years after the event of the cross. And it says here in these passages that the story had been widely circulated among the Jews even to this very day. 30 years later, they were still telling the deception. They were still telling the lie. Even today, among the Jewish people, the lie is being circulated. Even today, and it is proof to us that it's true. Remember when Jesus was talking to Lazarus or talking to someone about Lazarus and the rich man? And the rich man asked Abraham to send someone to raise the dead so that his brothers would not go through the hell that he was in. Abraham said, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced or convicted, even if someone rises from the dead. I wonder if Jesus was thinking about this day. Isn't it amazing that today, because of deception, people still do not believe in Jesus? And yet, listen to me, I'm going to say this to someone in this room. Your unbelief proves it's true. There is no historical event that has happened in human history that has been so, has so much press, so much evidence, so many have tested it thoroughly and found it to be accurate by the evidence of the historical writings, by the archaeological findings, and even the lives changed in the reality of it. It's true. It's true. So, and think about this, and I mean, you know, no time in history has deception rised to the levels that it has in our world, I don't think. I have seen it in men's lives. I have seen it in supposable trusted agencies. I have seen it around us. So what, what can we take uh, as comfort in this time? Paul wrote to the, second, uh, to the Thessalonians, uh, in, the, in the second book, he wrote about this. And, uh, and he says this. Um, he says this starting um, in the seventh verse of the second chapter of, Thess- of Thessalonians. He says, For the secret power of the lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so until he is taken out of the way. So deception's been raising since the beginning of time, but there is a restraining hand against it. But it will be taken out of the way. 
Then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. He will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie and all the ways that the wickedness deceive those who are perishing. They perish because they, listen to me, they perish, listen, somebody needs to hear this today, they perish because they refuse to love the truth and so to be saved. That's the point. Stop it. For this reason, listen to me, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe a lie. And so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. And so as these, so what is our comfort? Our comfort is that in these growing deceitful days, Divorce has risen to astronomical numbers. People are giving up marriage in God's way to live life their way. People have, have given in to uses of drugs, uses of all kinds of things to try to satisfy their life. We don't even know our identity anymore. And we use identity as a God. And now there's... Over 200 identities online. What foolishness. It is a deception and a lie that is overcoming. And I can tell you this. If you're one who just disagreed with a statement I said, I would gather that your life is probably surrounded by a lot of trauma. And that you're living a lie. But it points to the fact that Jesus Christ is the truth. It points to the reality of what the word says. It's not over. Truth will prevail. Truth will overcome deception. Listen to me, people. If you will, if you will side with the truth, I can tell you this. You will know who you are. You will know what's true and what's right. You will see life revealed in ways that you can hardly imagine because truth opens up your heart, opens up your eyes to what's real, not what's fake and fantasy. Get out of the games in the computer. Get out of the things that try to distract your life. Get out of that deception and see the true life that we have. Because truth does prevail. If death begs you to believe it's over, then the resurrection says it's not. If deception says you're nothing, believe a lie, then truth breaks the arm of deception. But it goes farther than that. If Jesus brought life and Jesus brought truth, 
then guess what? Jesus brought your destiny. Jesus brought your life and the direction of your life. Let's read about that. 16. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee. They did what? They went. Why? Why did the disciples go to Galilee? Because Jesus told them to and they did it. No. I, you didn't all get that. What Jesus said is true. No, no, no. What he says is true. <laughs> Amen. Amen. But it's true. So they went to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. Then they, when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. But they still went. When they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All, all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them everything I have commanded you, and lo, I will be with you always until the end of the age. You know, I, I think that what I can relate to today in this message is there are times in my life, can you agree with this? There's times in my life where I have no clue. There's times in my life where, um, where I am being told to do something and I have no idea why. And I know it's from Jesus. And I have no clue why. And he's just saying Go. You have to know something about sin. I don't think people think about. Sin always takes you to a place you don't belong. No, you don't get this. Sin always takes you to a place you don't belong. Always does. Always does. The only way to turn that around is to go to where Jesus told you to go. Where does he tell you to go? Well, first thing he says is come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. So the first call is to come to me. The second call is to believe the, believe the truth and not a lie. Lies have taken some of our lives, down, amen to this? Lies have taken us to our lives to places that we shouldn't be, doing things that we shouldn't do, becoming people we were never intended to become. Amen? Amen. amen. So that means that the truth will always bring us to the place we should be to become the people that we should be to live the life that we should live. Always. 100%. And in the midst of it, I don't always get it. I, I just, I'm going to be honest with you. Maybe you guys look at a pastor and say, well, you should get it all the time. Sorry. The only reason I'm up in front of here is because Jesus called me up here. The only reason... I'm no better than you. We're on, we're on level ground together. We're walking this road together and sometimes this guy doesn't get it. And I'm willing to admit it. But I keep my eyes on Jesus even when life feels confusing. Even when life feels confusing. And so that is... So they went. And they were exactly where Jesus told them to go. I think that's amazing. 
Today, someone needs to go where Jesus is calling you to go. Someone needs to receive Jesus in your heart because he's saying to you right now, he's saying your name and he's calling to you and he's saying, I love you. And he's saying, come to me all who are weary. Hear him. He's saying your name. I don't even know all your names. He does. He knows you. He knows where you've been gone through. He knows the deception, the lies that have tried to destroy your life. He knows that you have felt it's all over with. Some of us in this room have said, I just think it would be better if I died. a lie that's a lie so there are there are five elements in these passages that can encourage us today to start this walk on this resurrection day believing that jesus christ has overcome all things believing that this lit up cross is empty and that the tomb is empty and that jesus is alive today five elements that god's calling you to walk in Yes, not getting it all the time. Yes, with sometimes your legs shaking. Absolutely. It ain't real if you don't go through that. And don't look at me as though, oh, you, you get it all together, Pastor. No, I do not. But I will follow Jesus all the days of my life and go where he wants me to go because I have found there's no better place on the earth than to be in the center will of Jesus Christ. No better place for a human being and so here's the five elements quickly. First in verse 16 when it says that they went to the mountain, it says it's availability. It's availability. It's interesting that some commentators believe that it wasn't just the 11 that were here, but that this was maybe where Paul was talking about where the other 500 gathered was at this mountain. And I, I'm wondering if it's true. I'm wondering if it's true. So it could be a great crowd that was available that day. Availability is the only requirement of God. He has promised that if we would go, not only would he pick the good work that we are to do, but he would empower us to do the good work. We just need to show up. We do not realize that the demonic world wants people to get angry and to leave. The demonic world wants you to move. I met a, um, a former doc student that, uh, that I had the opportunity and the privilege to, to walk with. And uh, um, he works at, um, what's the store? Um, Horrocks, thank you. And uh, he told us that he was moving up, to, um, moving up to Big Rapids with his girlfriend. And uh, because she's going to go to school there. And as I walked away, I just shook my head. And I said, you're changing your whole life for an uncommitted person. I'm sorry. It is not going to turn out well. Jesus Christ showed the commitment and love of God on this cross by going to the cross. He showed us the commitment by rising from the dead and giving life. Outside of that, There's no true love. And I have seen it over the years, time and time and time again, people making decisions in their life when there's no commitment of the love of Jesus Christ in the midst of it. And it burdens my heart because they're going in places they don't belong. 
So availability. Second, verse 17 says that when they saw him, they worshipped him. Worship. Now some doubted, but they still worshipped. Worship is the act of focusing on Jesus. It's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2.22, For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's exactly what worship is. It is focus on the one who has given everything for you, has given his all for you. It is the heart of worship, unmoved by the lie of death and deception. Jesus is the only one that matters. Is that in your life? Third, verse 18, it is the authority of in heaven and earth has been given to me. It is submission to that authority. Authority refers to the freedom and right one has to act as he pleases. This authority that Jesus had from all eternity now is revealed at the resurrection. He is the one with all authority. Psalmist said in 115.3, our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. The neat thing is about this, is that whatever he pleases is good. It's good for you. It's good for me. doesn't always feel good. But it's good. And if you can trust in the goodness of God and you believe that what he does, he does and what pleases him is what's good, then you can follow him. Now those first three are all attitudes. Availability, worship, and submission are all attitudes. Today, have you come into church with the, with the attitude of, I'm here because I'm available to you, God? I'm here to worship you, and I'm here to submit to your word. Is that the attitude that you've brought in here today? So the fourth, found in verse 19 through 20a, says, Therefore go and make obedience. Obedience. Our call is not to just sit on what we know, but to take what we know and to give it to others. And it's in the going of life. It's in every activity. It's wherever you are. It's obeying God with the mission of the church. When's the last time you told somebody about Jesus? When's the last time you invited somebody to read God's word with you? When's the last time that you invited somebody to church? We are a mission ground. Some people call us a hospital. But it's a place where the hurting come, the broken come, to be healed. That's what we're supposed to be. That's what God has called us to be. But it takes people to obey. And listen to what John MacArthur says about that. I have both, he says, I have both the authority to command you to be my witnesses and the power to enable you to obey the command. You know what I often say? I can't fail. In the world, it looks like failure at times, but I, I remember I, I, I taught some students one year over a theme that was this. I would rather look failing following Jesus than fail to follow him. I don't care what the world thinks. I don't care if you look at me as a failure or if you look at me as deceived. It's okay. 
I know that this is the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So it's obedience. And then finally, verse 20, it says, and surely I am with you always until the end of the age. The power is in his presence. I know I've got some students here that are learning doctrine, and I'm really glad of that. I'm, I'm really glad about that. I think doctrine is very, very important. But I would say that you better equate that with the presence of God in your life. Because doctrine without Jesus is abusive. Doctrine with Jesus is mercy and grace. And it changes lives forever. And so he is the power I love the fact that he ends this with kind of an eschatology and, a stu- and, and the fact that he is here with us until the end of the age. Do you, do you believe that there's an end to this human age? Do you believe at some point in time God is going to say these words? It is done. And in a blink of an eye, boom, over with. That is our hope. That is our hope. And Paul said it this way, and this is our encouragement as we, as we end this time together. Paul said it this way, I consider in um, Romans 8, 18, I consider that our present suffering is not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Any of you suffering today? Any of you going through difficult times? The last couple months in my life has been very, very difficult. There has been a strange spirit that has been looming and I have felt its presence it has been tough a couple of months but my God is greater than that and in fact Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4 17 for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all so the fact that you feel the reality of death the fact that you are that 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 there's trauma and it's real. The fact that there are lies that are going around in an increasing manner in our world, just like it was in those days with the chief priests, is the fact that Jesus Christ is real. And the Bible is being proved true day after day after day. So the call is this. Today, Are you a person that's available for Jesus? Or have you shut this off? Are you a person that's here to worship Jesus? Are you here as a person who is going to submit your life to Jesus, no matter what happens with your circumstances? Are you a person that's obeying and will obey him and say today, no matter what, I don't care, I will obey you. I will, I will, whatever you say. And are you a person that believes that his presence in your heart is the power for you to live out that life? Jesus Christ's resurrection has overcome life, overcome death. Jesus' resurrection has overcome deception. Jesus Christ's resurrection gives you a destiny for all eternity. I pray that today you hear his voice. Say your name. Amen. Amen. Stand with me as we pray.
Father in heaven, we, uh, we just come as a family in your presence. I'm so thankful for uh, this family that you've drawn together and even the visitors that might be here for the first time. Um, Lord, there's two great realities of worship, and that is your presence and the fact that you call us to love you and love each other. And so I pray that, Father, in this room, that there is a receiving and a love and a oneness that is undeniable. Father, we come to you in the light of the resurrection, and we believe that you have overcome death with life. We believe that you are the one that, that rose up. The stone was not moved because you needed to come out. The stone was moved so we could look in. And we could see the reality of your resurrection. Father, we just, we just pray that um, in a world of deception, and I just sense in my spirit that there are people in this room today that are living under lies. And just like the chief priests who wanted to deny uh, the resurrection, they couldn't deny the reality of it happening, but they built a deception. So, Father, there is a great work of the evil one building deceptive lies, and we're walking into them, and it's confusing our lives and making life purposeless. But Father, you have given us the purpose. Because you have risen, overcome life from death, because you are the truth that has overcome deception, Father, we have a destiny. And so Father, may our availability, may our worship, may our submission, may our obedience, and may the power of your presence, Lord, empower us to be the people that you've called us to be, to guide us and direct us in this life. That Father, this life truly will be a great adventure. Not because of, Father, that we got all the answers, but because you are the answer and because you're leading us each and every day. And I pray that for every single person in this room today, that they will come to realize that. Thank you for the impact of the resurrection. Thank you for who you are. Thank you that today, even the lies we believed prove you to be God of all, King of King and Lord of Lord. Even the atheists prove that you are real. And we give you all the glory and honor and praise. In the precious name of Jesus, amen.